Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you this weekend, this Sunday. Uh, and Pastor Josh, I don't know if you're watching, but good luck trying to get that dog back when you get home, because uh, we love that thing. It is awesome. Um, we've always wanted a golden doodle, and it is very, very lovable, very great. When he nudges me in the morning, wakes me up every day, take him outside, use the bathroom, it's a great thing, that dog. Um, hey, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 24 this morning. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I just want to invite you to turn there, Luke chapter 24. Uh, and I believe that this morning will be an important conversation for us because we have been talking over the past few weeks, um, as Josh has preached in the book of Joshua, um, pastors taken us through Joshua chapter 7 the past two weeks where we've talked about sin and what sin can do um, to a move of God's people and how it affects them. And we've talked a lot about how the process of sin takes root in our heart and how it affects us. And so I think this morning it's really important that in Luke chapter 24 we have this conversation about our hearts and how easily our hearts are affected. I mean, Jesus himself said that where your treasure is, your heart is also there. And in moments of weakness, sometimes we treasure the wrong things. We think we can stand so firm on what we want in life and the things that we desire and where we place our affection and our time and where our heart is, the things that we love. But those things can change so easily. And so in Luke chapter 24, we're going to see the importance of just walking in God's word as we try to follow Jesus with everything that we are. We're going to see how easily our hearts can be affected, but the right way to have our hearts affected by the Lord. You know, I was reminded this weekend, uh, Macy's parents are in town and we spent the day with them in Atlanta and we were talking a little bit yesterday about a trip that Macy and I had taken to Ecuador in 2012. We uh, flew into Quito, which is really high altitude. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but you get up there and your head just starts to hurt. And you're like, let's leave this high place and go back down low. And we got in a van. So that's what we did. We, we got in a van and we drove for eight hours just into the middle of the jungle for eight hours into the jungle, like nothing. There was nothing around. And then we got out of the van, and then we walked, and we got on boats. And we got on the boats, and they took us really far, even deeper into the jungle. And we ended up in this place that was right across the water from an island, and this island was called Anaconda Island. <laughs> Who picked this place? Anaconda Island. Uh, and it was kind of a medical mission trip. We had some doctors from our church at the time in Florida. We had some nurses on the team. Uh, Macy and I know nothing about any of that stuff. We were just there to serve people and love people and tell them about the gospel. And one of the team members that was there with us was a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was one of my small group leaders when I was in middle school and in high school and has just been so formative for my life and how I follow Jesus. He's just been one of my role models my whole life. And Paul has been on other mission trips with me. Uh, he went to Brazil with me my, my freshman year of, of high school. I believe he had been to El Salvador with us. We'd just taken these trips throughout high school. But in 2012, he was in Ecuador with us. Now, here's what you need to understand. Because Paul knew me in middle school and high school, uh, he knew me at my best and some of my, well, mostly the worst, right, uh, because I was an unruly middle schooler. Uh, I, I would often be found on the roof running around. I'd be often uh, skipping groups. I'd, I'd do all of these things, and, and Paul would usually be the one to find me, maybe give me a talking to. Uh, I, I'll never forget when we were in Brazil my freshman year of high school, he just chewed me out in the airport for something dumb I did. I mean, he just, the dude tore into me, and I was so scared, so scared of him uh, and his awesome mustache. He was just so intense looking. Um, but we found ourselves going, it, it, he was in one of our groups at our, our trip. We had broken into different groups, and he was with my group for the day. 
And Paul and I had gone over to Anaconda Island, and we were taking water filters to people, and the doctors and nurses on our team and our group were, were helping uh, give medication to people and diagnose certain illnesses and sicknesses and try and help them. And they had told us, hey, um, they've got the stuff they drink. Don't drink it, right? Now, that's pretty normal when you go to a third world country and they've got water. You don't want to drink their water because our stomachs aren't prepared for the bacteria that they have in that water. They're fine. They've grown up on it. They've drank it. But we want to drink clean water. We want to drink water that's been bottled, that is fresh, that is not have, that's been filtered. But they also had the stuff that they drank that um, the, the, the translator had told us, hey, listen, don't drink this. Like, you'll legit get sick. Like, it'll be bad. It'll be bad. <laughs> And if you've ever gotten sick from a mission trip, you're trapped in the bathroom for a few days, you're just like, I don't want to go near it, I don't want to drink it, I'll stay away, got it. Now, we sat under this house that was on stilts, and it was Paul and me and our translator, and we were talking with his family, and of course comes out the ceremonial uh, cereal bowl um, filled with this milky-looking substance, and I don't know about you, I, I like to drink milk after I eat my cereal. Some of y'all don't drink your milk after you eat your cereal, but I like to sip out of the, you know, out of the bowl and drink my, my cereal milk. And they had this big bowl, but this was more like a, a shared cereal bowl, right, where the whole family was sipping out of it, and they, they offered it to us. And in that moment, I really should have looked to our translator and our guide, who was the one that was like, don't drink it, right? Don't do this. You will get sick. But I didn't look at that person. I looked at the person that I trusted the most, which was Paul, <laughs> I looked at the man that had the most distinguished mustache on our team, right? I looked at Paul, who had been so formative in my life, who had mentored me, who had led me, who had, man, berated me, who had loved on me, who had encouraged me, who had chewed me out. Like, this guy had been with me. He had done life with me for years. And so in that moment, I just looked at him because I'm like, you got to tell him that we're not going to drink it. I'm not going to tell him, you know. And I look at him, and he just goes, eh, let's just try it, you know. <laughs> and so uh, so he, they, the whole family, they all go around, they take sips, and they give it to Paul, and he takes a sip, and they give it to me, and I smell it. It's just like this putrid, sour, like root milk. It's really, really bad. But I took a sip. I took a sip. And, and as we talked about that yesterday, here's, here's what I've remembered, okay? First of all, I didn't get sick. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I remember just that instant, how small and, and like just far off that memory is, but just that small instance, I looked to the person that had the biggest voice in my life, Right? I looked to the person that I knew and that I trusted, and in that moment, maybe if I had looked the other way or if I would talked to somebody else, the translator or the guy has been like, hey, I probably don't want to drink that because we don't want to get sick. But because he was just like, yeah, let's do it, <laughs> I immediately I was like, okay, let's do it, you know. And it's just so funny to me, church, because I think just little instances like this every day happen to us because we have so many voices vying for our attention. We have so much content just being thrown in our faces, so many things that we read, so many tweets that we read, right? Facebook posts, articles, conversations. And here's the deal. Sometimes it is good, godly people speaking into our lives and affecting our hearts and shaping the places that we lay our treasure. Sometimes it's good. But no one's perfect. There's been times in my life when I've been detached from the word of God and I've still been mentored and sitting under the teaching of godly people. And, and there have been instances where I've had a mentor that has taught me how to follow Jesus better. But then that mentor maybe made a bad decision, treasured the wrong thing, desired the wrong thing. And I found myself following away from Jesus and sinning the way that my mentor was sinning. Because I just trusted him and followed him and wanted to be like him and figured that he knew what was best. But if we are detached from the word of God, then... We're missing out on this fullness of life that the Lord has intended for us. And so what we're going to see here 
In chapter 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13, is two disciples walking down the Emmaus Road. Two disciples. Luke 24, verse 13, we'll start there. But you need to know this is the day that the tomb was found empty. This is it. This is the day that Jesus had conquered the grave, rose from the dead, and Mary and some ladies came up and found that tomb empty. And yet here's where Jesus is with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let's look at this in verse 13. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all these things, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. If you're taking notes this morning, make a note of this, okay? God's heart, talk about hearts, our hearts this morning. Let's talk about God's heart first. God's heart is for his people. Like God desires us. He wants to be with us. And we see this from the very beginning of scripture. You go to Genesis and you see when Adam and Eve sinned, when sin first entered into the world, like the first mistake, the first wrong thing that ever happened, the first act of disobedience, here's what happens. Jesus, God, goes walking in the garden looking for them. He longs to be with his people. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants to be us. God's heart is for his people. He is for me and he is for you. He wants us. He loves us. And if it wasn't evident enough in the fact that he had just been crucified and buried and taken on the sins of the world and then rose from the dead for us, it's even more obvious in this passage here that we just read. He's for his people. And to get a deeper understanding of why it's so important as these two guys walk along the road, we really got to understand what the past week has been like for Jesus. See, a week ago, he ate. He was at the Passover. He was with his disciples And at that Passover meal, he shared with them that he had to suffer. Like he told them about everything that needed to happen to him. And so it really shouldn't have been surprised to any of the disciples or his followers that Jesus was then killed a few days later. But he ate with them and he shared with them. And then immediately after that, as they're making their way through town, he finds the disciples having an argument over who's the greatest. He's going, hold on, guys, I just told you I would have to suffer, I would have to die, and now you're here just arguing like you still don't get it. You're talking about yourselves, about who's the greatest, when you need to understand that I'm here and I'm making myself the lowest. And then after that, Jesus went to the garden to pray. He prayed. And as he prayed, he asked his disciples, will you pray 
And as Jesus prayed and was stressed and knew what would come in just a few hours, he bled because of the stress of what would come. He sweated blood because he knew what stood before him. And as he came back to the garden, what did he find? That his disciples were asleep. He was forgotten. Not long after that, Jesus had been betrayed by one of his own, by Judas. Jesus, Jesus said one of them would, but he was betrayed and he was arrested. As he was arrested and the disciples looked on, Peter was there and just as Jesus had told him, Peter would deny him. Peter then sat there with a group of people and denied that he even knew Jesus three times. He was denied. He was mocked. As he was brought into custody, he was beaten. He was made fun of. They blindfolded him. They spit on him. They beat him. They laughed at him, made jokes of him, a mockery of him. And then he was sentenced to death. And the crazy thing about this is that he had been declared innocent by two government leaders. And yet his own people cried out for his death. They said, no, we want Jesus. That guy Barabbas, let him go. We know he's a murderer. We know he's causing trouble. But we want Jesus dead. See, he was sentenced to death because of the cries of his own people. And then, of course, he was crucified. And when he was crucified, he took on the sins of the world. He took on our sin. He bore our sin. He suffered for our sin. He died in our place. He did that for us. And as he breathed his last breath and he said it was finished, and between two criminals hanging on either side of him, he was buried and he was placed in a tomb. But three days later, we know as the story goes, he was risen. See, think about this for a second. We can't miss this moment because it really sets us up for this conversation, this interaction with Jesus and these two disciples walking along this road to Emmaus. Jesus had been through so much in the past week. He had done so much, so much had happened to him, but the most important thing is that he had accomplished everything he set out to do. Like, this is why he came. He came to take on the sins of the world. He came to defeat death. He came to win the war. And at that moment, when he rose that morning, death was reversed. We have life through Christ because of what he did that day. He walked out of the tomb. We can be set free. We can be with God. We can be made new because of what happened that day. It is the finest hour of anyone's finest hour in history. It is the most important thing that has ever happened or will ever happen. The day that Jesus set us free. The day that he made a way for us. And in that same day, what does he do? Does he say, man, I just want to go lay down for a minute. <laughs> Whew, what a week. Does he say, man, I, I just, I'm going to go back to heaven now. Done. Check. Took care of it. That was great. They say, man, I want to throw this awesome party and invite all my people, all my followers. I'm even invite the people that cried out for my death. It's okay. This is why I came. No, that's not what is he, what does he do. It's not what he does. He, he finds himself on a road with two random disciples we've never even heard of before. One of them's not even named. Literally, we, all we get is Cleopas. See, God cares for us. His heart is his people. And as they walk along this road and Jesus comes upon them, they don't even recognize that it's Jesus. Maybe it's the Lord just withholding that from them. They're not able to tell. They're not able to see that this is Jesus. And so to them, it's this stranger that's just walking along with them, interacting with them. And notice that Jesus doesn't show up and roll up on these two guys and go, hey, where are you guys going? You need to go back to Jerusalem. Did you not hear that, you know, I'm back, you know? No. He says, hey, what are, what are you talking about? What's the conversation here? What's this conversation you're holding as you walk? And before they answered, it says they stood still. The disciples stopped. It says that they just looked sad. They were dejected. They were disappointed. 
All the things that they expected to come because of Jesus in their mind had not come because the grave was the end of what they thought would be the Messiah. But they were wrong. So Cleopas answered him. He says, hey, are you the only person? Like, are you new to town? Are you a visitor? Are you the only one, the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Like, this is the talk of the town, right? I mean, we're church people. We know news spreads fast, right? How do you not know what's going on here? Like, this is what everybody's talking about, that they cried out for this teacher, for this prophet, for this Jesus to be crucified. How do you not know? And they describe him. They say he's a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. Our, our chief priests, our rulers, they delivered him up to be crucified. But we, listen, if you're going to underline a scripture, underline 21. But we had hoped, we had hoped, past tense, that he was the one to redeem Israel. But it's been three days, and now people are talking. They're saying that some women came up to the tomb to take care of the body. But there were angels there. And the angel says, he's gone, he's risen. We know from Scripture and, and the other Gospels that there had been talk about maybe the, the tomb being robbed, maybe the body had been taken. And so these disciples, as they walk away back to Emmaus, back home, back to just go get, man, just a good meal and just go rest and take a break from all the drama, and they walk and they talk these things through and they, they're listening and thinking about all the gossip of the town, all the rumors, and they're just trying to process. They're just trying to work through what's happened. But the amazing thing about all of this is that because God is for his people, his heart is for his people, he doesn't roll up on them and say, it's me, I'm back, surprise. He says, no, listen, what, what are you guys talking about? Tell me, like what's on your heart? What, what's on your mind? Jesus doesn't make it about himself in that moment. He gives them an opportunity to, to voice their opinions, to voice their thoughts, to verbally process. And these guys, they were sad. They had just lost hope in the person that they thought would be the one sent by God to redeem their people. And so it felt like they maybe had lost everything. And so as they're walking and talking, isn't it amazing that Jesus comes near to them? Jesus talks to them. He asks them questions. He wants to know their hearts. He wants to know how they're feeling. And I would just say this, okay, here's what's so important about our walk with Christ. We have to understand that even when our thinking is wrong, even when we feel like we've been abandoned, even when we feel like we've screwed this thing up just too far, that Jesus cares for your heart. He longs to know the things you feel. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to him. Because in this moment where Jesus has just done the most amazing thing that will ever happen, he's talking to two random disciples on this street that aren't even named, just one of them, and saying, hey, what's wrong? Tell me. Share with me. What's going on here? See, God's heart is for his people. And so they share all these rumors, they work through all these things. But in the verse 25, this is where it gets a little more fun, Jesus responds. They still don't know it's him, but let's look at this next passage together, starting in verse 25. It says this, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them all in the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them, 
and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, God, his heart is for his people, but it's through God's word that he reveals his heart. His heart's revealed through his word, through his scripture. He uses the Bible. I mean, look at this. Jesus gives them a chance to, he wants to hear from them. He wants to know why they're disparaged. He wants to know why they're sad. He wants to know why they're so hopeless. He wants to know what they're talking about. He draws near to them and has this intimate conversation with them. And to them, he's just some stranger that just doesn't know the talk of the town. And and then when they finally give him a chance to respond, Jesus says, you guys are foolish. Come on. Like, you, you should know better than this. Your heart has been slow to believe everything that's been spoken. This was necessary. Do we not talk about this? It was necessary that the Christ should suffer all of these things. And then look at what Jesus does next. He starts to teach them. He starts to take them through the word. I I used to have, um, for some reason, every few months, like five or six years ago, I would just wake up. And when I'd wake up, my neck would be like this. (laughs) And it would just be stuck like this for, for days. It was terrible. I don't know if you've ever had your neck, your neck stuck like that before, but like literally I would rather, I don't know, I'd rather get beat up or something in the parking lot than my neck just be stuck like this. I'd rather so many other things than my neck be stuck like this because everywhere you go, anytime somebody calls from behind you, you have to turn around completely like this. It's just really frustrating, but my neck would always hurt. And the worst would always be when we'd be like a Wednesday night and I would have to go teach students <laughs> and my neck would be like this because they would think it'd be really funny. They'd like tap me on the shoulder and I'd be like that. I'm like, where'd you go, you know? They'd yell my name and be like, what, ow, you know? I would be teaching, and my neck would be like this, and I'd try to straighten it, and they would laugh at me. And I'm like, just please pay attention to the message, you know. It was always the worst. And I, and I would never want to go teach. I would never want to do ministry on days where my neck was messed up. Turns out I just needed a new pillow. It's all good now, right? It's all good. Really thin pillow. Check your pillows, people. So I would always just hate it. I'd always be like, man, I don't want to teach. I don't want to be around people. I just want to sit still and not do anything for like three days, right? And yet here we have Jesus who had just been mocked arrested, spit on, hung on a cross, like beaten, like the dude just gave his life. Jesus gave his life, conquered the grave. And then what does he do? I mean, he's so eager in their disbelief and their lack of hope to walk them through his word, to teach them the scriptures, to open their eyes up to all of these things. See, I love like literally on the next page of my Bible is John chapter one, okay? And John chapter one says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, John is describing Jesus. Jesus is the capital W word. He is the truth. He is the revelation of who God is. But I love that in this moment, they don't even realize that they're walking with the word. And I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty eager to walk with the word. I'd be pretty eager to walk side by side with Jesus and pour my heart out to him and let him speak into my life. But in this moment, what does Jesus do? He recognizes that how he has revealed himself is through his word, through his scripture. And so we see these disciples walking with the word, but Jesus sees and places the emphasis on walking in the word. He says, man, you you are misunderstanding all these things. Maybe you have followed these teachers These other religious leaders that have talked about the Messiah your whole life and they've told you that he's going to be some kind of political leader. They've told you he's going to be some guy that's going to redeem Israel through war, through politics, through the government. Maybe we don't know what these guys believed exactly, but what we do know 
is that they thought death was not the way that Israel would be redeemed. And so Jesus takes them through the word and walks them through all of the teachings about himself throughout the Old Testament with Moses and the prophets. And he shows them all of the things that were about Jesus, describing how he had to suffer, how these things were necessary. And then as they are walking, they realize towards the end of the day, they come to their village, and Jesus, who they still don't know is Jesus, is like, all right, we'll see you guys later. And they're like, no, stay, like, stay with us. I don't know who you are, but you're really good at this teaching stuff. And so they bring him in, and they sit down, and they have a meal together. And as Jesus blesses the bread and he breaks it, their, their eyes are open, and they finally see, they finally realize, oh, this, this is Jesus. And then poof, he vanishes. And it's this conversation that they have after Jesus vanishes that is so important, and I think it tells us so much about his word. It says their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And this is what they said to each other, verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? Their hearts burned. And see, this is so hard to explain to somebody if they haven't been obedient in God's word. See, so often we want to open up God's word, and we want him to speak into our life immediately exactly with what we need. We, we want the answer right there. But, but I love how the late Eugene Peterson titled his book on discipleship. He called it a long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. What a perfect description for our walk in the word to know Jesus. It's a long obedience. See, when we read the word, it might not be that the Lord uses it in our life that day the next day, the next month, the next year. But he is planting seeds of truth and revelation in our hearts. And there will be a time where we need his word, where we need his truth, where we need the revelation about who he is. And for those disciples, they say, man, wasn't that crazy when we were reading that earlier? We didn't even realize it was Jesus, but our hearts burned. And in this moment where he revealed himself to us, it all makes sense. It changes everything about what we believe. We didn't have hope and now we have hope. We misunderstood. We were wrong. And so now our hearts need to be shaped in the same way that the Lord's heart is shaped. We need to have affection for Christ in the right way. See, the things we believed about Jesus, that wasn't the real Jesus. We believed in a Jesus before that could be conquered by death. We didn't believe in the Jesus that could conquer death himself. It changed everything about who they believe the Messiah is. And they knew in that moment that he had just been in front of them, that everything they had just read was in fact confirmed in the fact that their eyes were revealed, and this is Jesus. Man, I don't know about you, but some of the most satisfying times in my life have been not when I've read the word and it's just lined up perfectly for that day, or that minute, or exactly what I needed. It's that I've been in God's word and I've been obedient, and I've just been walking in it. And eventually down the road, I go, oh my goodness. Huh. This, is, this is what the Lord's been preparing me for. This is why he's been speaking to me this for, for this day. And now it all makes sense. And it's exactly what I need. I, I remember in North Carolina, I, I had a discipleship group up there with uh, two or three other guys. And we've been reading um, in First Timothy together. And we've been talking about some things. And for the most part, our group was like, every week was like, oh, you know, this is really good. This is my favorite verse, but it doesn't really apply right now. And then about a month or two later, somebody had shared something about something going on in their life, and then we moved on to the next guy and shared something about going on in his life, and moved on to me, and I shared about what was going on in my life. And then it, it turns out we were like, oh, we're all walking through the same thing right now. Oh, 
the scriptures that we've been reading for the past month, it was all about this moment. It was all about, like it clicked for us. And the Lord had just confirmed all of these things that he'd been planning in our hearts for so long. He'd been shaping our hearts and it had all been revealed through his scripture. See, people love talking about Jesus. We love coming to church. We love being all about church stuff and Jesus stuff and the good vibes and the love of the Lord and grace and mercy, but we are missing out on who Jesus is. We are missing out on who God is if we are not obediently walking in the word. And the good news today is that although Jesus has risen back up to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he has sent his spirit and put his spirit in us so that as we read his word, his spirit interprets it. It, it, it reveals who he is. It, it shapes our heart. Listen, his spirit is working in us as we read his word. Church, we need the word of God. Every interaction we have every day, every conversation, the people that we love and trust, the news that we watch, the shows we watch, the music we listen to, the books we read, the articles we read, the tweets we read, the posts we read, whatever it is, so many voices are speaking into our life and trying to direct us. But we have to be firmly rooted in Scripture to truly know the things that we need to treasure and long for. We've got to be in God's Word. And Jesus himself places this emphasis on it. Jesus himself tells us, hey, it's the word. Let's go back to Moses. Let's go back to the prophets. Let me help you understand who I really am. Let's set the record straight. And so as they look to each other and they go, oh, our hearts, they, they burned. Our hearts, they, they knew something was up here. And now it all makes sense. Now it all comes together. What happens next in verse 33 is amazing. It says this. They rose that same hour. What did they do? They went back. They returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Do you see the shift? Do you see the change? I mean, it's so obvious, right? Jesus had been killed. There were all these rumors. They didn't know what to believe. But when we first come to them on the road and Jesus interacts with them, we see that they were discouraged. They had lacked hope. They were sad. I mean, sad enough that they were walking. And Jesus says, hey, I don't know if they had backpacks on or what. I don't know what I'm doing. He said, hey, they were walking. And Jesus says, hey, what's up? What are you guys talking about? And they just stopped. And it says they just looked sad. They just took a moment. And it just showed the sadness that they had, the loss of hope. But look at the difference now. They had spent the day walking this seven miles, maybe a few hours out of town to get to Emmaus. They had gone back to the comfort of their home to have a nice warm meal and just rest and forget about it. And now that they've seen who Jesus really is, now that they know what Jesus is all about, now that they see what's happened with his death and resurrection and what it was really all for, they see that Israel really can be redeemed, that Israel really has been bought with the blood of Christ. And so they say, no, we can't stay here. We got to get up. We got to get back to Jerusalem. We got to go to the place we were trying to get away from in the first place because we got to go tell people about this Jesus, the one true king who did the one thing that no one else will ever do. He conquered sin and he conquered death and he made a way and people got to know this. And so they get up and they go. I don't know if they even finished eating their meal. I don't know if they had to change out of their pajamas or what they did, but they got up and they went back to Jerusalem and they showed up in that room with those 11 disciples who were probably having the same discussions, the same conversations that these two had had on the road. And they said, no, hey, we're here to set the record straight. We know that the ladies talked about the tomb being empty, but we can tell you now, he appeared to us. He talked to us. He is alive. See, his heart's for his people. 
He reveals that heart to us through his word, but it's in his word. When we walk in his word, it shapes our hearts. It shows us the affections that we have. It shows us the things that we really need to desire, the things that we need to treasure, the things that we need to care about. And listen, Jesus had been beaten, he'd been mocked, he'd been killed. Maybe some of the same things were going to happen to some of those followers of Jesus. Maybe these guys were, I don't know, getting safely outside of town, going back to their village, getting away from everything. Now that all the Passover festivities were over, now that Jesus was gone, maybe they were just getting away and knowing they'll be safer here. But they go back to the one place that maybe they didn't want to be at the one place they were going away from in the first place. They rounded back, and when they got there, they were the ones proclaiming the truth of God. And that's all because Jesus himself spoke to them and shaped their hearts with his word. Listen, we need to be shaped daily. It's a daily, a daily thing we need to do. It's a daily conversation. This divine discourse we need to have with the Lord when we get in his word and he speaks to us and we say, Lord, this is great and I don't know what this is for, but I know it's for something, so I'm going to hold on to it. We need to hide his word in our hearts. So much of the scriptures talk about our hearts and our hearts are falling, our hearts long for the wrong things and we fall short and we make mistakes and it all comes back to the heart. And so the Lord wants his word hidden in your heart. It shapes us and it speaks to us and it teaches us how to truly see what life is really all about. And it truly shows us what each of our lives is really all about. See church, we need the word of God. It's so funny, right, because when you go to church, you go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. All right, what's the important thing Christians need to do? Read the Bible. Yeah, we got to read the Bible. But, man, shouldn't we talk about this with a little bit more excitement? Because the creator of the universe, the one that made you, the one that knit you together in the womb, the one that knows you and cares for you and made a way for you, the one that knows exactly what you were made for and the journey that you're supposed to have on this earth, the one that gave you a purpose in life and knows all of those steps, even though you don't know them. He's the one that knows every single step that you need to take, every place you need to go to. He's the one that's gonna guide you and take you there and give you that fulfillment and purpose in life more than anything else in the world could ever do. He's the one that's gonna take away your grief, your depression, your sadness and replace it with joy. He's the one that's gonna make you say, okay, no, I'm not trying to get away from suffering. I'm going to run straight to it because maybe the Lord wants to call me to this. Maybe the Lord wants to use me in this. He's the one that took these two disciples that were just trying to get out of town and sent them straight back into the madness in the middle of everything to be the ones to take the truth of God. Listen, this is the Jesus. It's in his word. It's the one thing we should get the most excited about. It's the one thing on a daily basis we're like, oh, I got to get in God's word because he's got something for me. And it may not be today that I know what it is. It may not be tomorrow. But at some point in my life, the Lord is going to use his word in my life. Church, we need it. We need the word of God in our lives. And I would just say this, okay, in the same way that the hearts of these two disciples were burning, were burning, The scariest thing, I think, for me, leading students, leading families, being at a church, is knowing that there's many times where maybe the word is preached or we read God's word or someone shares something with us and our hearts burn. And then we do nothing. Our hearts burn and we just let it be. Our hearts burn and we let it go and we move on to the next thing. We say, no, I was just excited at the moment. I just got moved emotionally. No, listen, our hearts burn because the spirit was stirring in our hearts. Our hearts burn because as the word is preached, as we read his word, as people share his word, the Lord speaks to us. And the one thing we need to understand is that these disciples, their hearts burned, but they didn't just go lay their head down and go to sleep after a long week. They got up 
They responded in faith. They responded with action. They responded with jumping back in and going back to the one place they had just left. And I think that so many of us, church, are just trying to get away from the mess. We're trying to get away from the difficult circumstances. We're just trying to go back to the house and just have a solid meal and just take a mental break. We're just trying to get away from the emotions of it all. We're just trying to get away. When in fact the Lord might be stirring up your heart. The Lord might be speaking to you because he's saying, no, I placed you in the mess. I placed you in the difficulty because I need you there. You're called to it. I've got you. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I'm speaking to you. I need you there. And these disciples recognize the one place in the world they need to be is back, back in the city, back in Jerusalem, back in the place they had just left. They weren't called to go away from it. The Lord had led them to it. And so they said, all right, Lord. And they responded in faith, and they got up, and they went immediately back there. Let's pray. Father, your word Your word is perfect. It's from you, Lord. It is the way in which you've chosen to reveal yourself, God. It's the one way we know that our hearts can be shaped in the way that they were intended to be. Lord, the way that we know that we can long for the same things that your heart longs for, that we can love the things that you love and and care about the things you care about, Lord. And so, God, I pray for this church this morning, this community of believers gathered together, God, that this morning, they would make a decision to respond in faith. That this morning, they would make a commitment to be in your word. That this morning would be the day that they say, Lord, I am all in. I want to know you more. Give me an excitement and a hunger and a thirst to be in your word. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you help us as we try to walk with you and follow you, Lord, that we would be in your word, that we would walk in your word every single day. God, we need it. We need it to shape us. We need it to mold us, to teach us. And so church, as you pray this morning, I just encourage you. Some of you for a long time have maybe passed on that burning feeling. You'll say it'll go away, it's fine. You've been holding it in. You haven't had the conversations with the Lord that you've needed to have. You haven't had the confession with the friends or the family or the pastor or whoever that you need to have. You've been avoiding the word because you know what it does to you and you know what it means for you. But I just tell you this, if you're just trying to get out of town, you're on your long walk to a place that's much more comfortable, I would ask you just to consider that maybe the Lord has given you this place, this time to respond in faith. That maybe this morning the Lord would speak to you and you would consider that you're not called to get out of town, that you're called to be in the midst of the madness that you're called to take the hope to the hopeless, that maybe he's placed you where you are for a purpose and for a reason. So let's get in his word. Let's seek his heart. Let's ask that his word shapes our own, that he gives us godly desires so that we can live this life we were intended to live, the life that he has given to us. So just in a moment, as the band will lead, I encourage you to stand and sing. And we'll have some pastors and some leaders and counselors down at the front. I'll be down here. And if you just need to come down and pray and talk to God, come do it. If you need to come talk to somebody, come do it. If you're sitting here going, I don't have a Bible. I don't know how to read it. Let's come, let's come talk about it. Let's get you a Bible.
man, I, I just need to respond in faith this morning. My heart's been burning for a long time, but I'm ready to do something about it. Then come, come. Father, we love you. Speak to us this morning as we worship. In your name we pray.